now there's so much of an immediacy, I think trust has broken down a little bit. It's a director's job to sort of reclaim that trust. I think those things diminish and limit the importance of human experience and they kill creativity. You know, know your worth, take risks and avoid toxic people. Welcome to Idea Killer Season 2, Episode 3. We took a break, but never fear. We are back and better than ever with a very special guest poised and ready to offer yet another unique perspective on the birth, death, and bastardization of ideation in the advertising space. Please welcome commercial director, filmmaker, cartoonist, fellow punk rocker, Nick Spooner. Nick, what is up? Thanks for being here. Thank you uh, for having me. And is this the first time you've spoken with another director? Ever in my life, yes. Ah, yeah. uh, I hope it goes well. Usually I just immediately try to kill them whenever I come across other directors. But I, I wish there was a little bit more collaboration and camaraderie and stuff between directors. It's it's a lonely business sometimes, you know? I think sometimes we're like uh, World War One flying aces, you know? We're like the gentlemen of the skies and we fly past each other and we're trying to kill each other. And then we run out of bullets and we just kind of salute and fly on. That's that's right. That's right. But so, hey, before we um, jump in, I I do want to let you know that I will be interviewing three directors for this episode. <laughs> I, I'm not going to tell you who they are and I will only call you back if you get selected. Are, is that cool? I want to start with just a little bit of history, get to know you a little bit. As you well know, in advertising, we're often tasked with telling these elaborate tales in, in 30 seconds, sometimes six seconds. Can mm -hmm. you give me the commercial version of your journey to becoming a director? And to be fair, I'm going to give you 40 seconds and we'll call it a director's cut. Eddie, I'll give it to you in 26.5. Go. <laughs> uh, I acted in commercials as a kid. I studied film and animation in high school and college. I took a year and a half off before college to work on the crew side in almost every department. Uh, after college, started at Ogilvy and Mather as a creative in Los Angeles. They transferred me to New York. I pretty quickly quit, went to Comedy Central, built a reel, and the next thing you know, old Jed's a millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know the acting part of this. That's uh, That's pretty cool. Yeah, and and have you have you dabbled back on the in front of the lens at all during your illustrious career? Uh, here and there, um, I've done a little bit more uh, voiceover work. And mm -hmm. the last couple of years, I was actually writing and doing some jingles. Uh, the most effective form of advertising, in my opinion, uh, of course. And everyone everyone knows it, despite what they might say. But I'm thinking, you know, after a certain point, the older categories. Uh, of actors get very thin. So I'm thinking of starting to go out for things like uh, Angry Neighbor or uh, Biker Dad or, uh, you know, stuff mm -hmm. like that. So maybe maybe I'll get back to it. You're perfectly typecast for both of the aforementioned roles. Pre appreciate it. Are you willing to shave? Uh, absolutely not. Yes. And I will do nude scenes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So there's a little career history, both sides of the camera. Writing, Comedy Central, agency side, you've made films, you've made innumerable commercials. We'll dig into that a little bit. Um, on a personal level, the uh, world is coming to an end and you are tasked with throwing the farewell party. One drink, one drug, one food, one band and an MC, living or dead. Even though I uh, don't imbibe the way I used to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
Um, I would say the go-to drink is probably uh, bourbon. Okay. Uh, Buffalo Trace on the rocks, but just one. Okay, one per guest, or just are you only monitoring your own intake? Uh, one for myself. Okay, great. And someone, then someone may have to go to the hospital. Yes, and it, and it, <laughs> and one one drug. Melatonin. <laughs> okay, so we can all just <laughs> slide into a deep dark sleep before the world implodes. I need uh, my beauty rest. Yes, one food. Uh, lobster. Great. One band. This is this is. I'm intrigued to see what your answer is here. Without a doubt, the bad brains at their, <sighs> at their peak. Okay. Well, I will scratch my last question because I was going to ask you bad brains or minor threat. And now I clearly know the answer. And I knew the answer before I asked the question. Um, an MC, living or dead. This is a, a keynote speaker of sorts. Andy Kaufman. Wow. All right. This is a fun party. Shittiest job that you've ever had, and what did you take away from it? Hmm. Well, some jobs I perhaps ought not to mention. And I think that every experience, good or bad, you know, is useful. We learn from our experiences. Um, but I guess the shittiest job, uh, I transferred uh, to the New York Ogilvy office from LA. And I'd been doing, uh, had good success selling broadcast and getting stuff on the air when I was in Los Angeles. But when I got to New York, I was felt like I had been demoted. I was in a little windowless office. I was doing Amex listing ads. And then we had a huge pitch for at and It was the biggest pitch, I think, at that time ever. And we spent like two months as a whole agency working on it. And the night before, our very famous executive creative director came bursting into the edit room. And I was doing some spots finally. And this guy was cataclysmically drunk or stoned or both. <laughs> uh, but he was a genius. And um, he decided to change the entire campaign strategy, the tagline, everything, which made none none of the creative made any sense. And every all the creatives were like, what, what the fuck? And so we lost the pitch gloriously. And I was like, I'm quitting. So after five months, I quit. And I went to go work on at uh, on air promos at Comedy Central. So I guess the lesson is, um, you know, know your worth, take risks, and avoid toxic people. I I worked in a maintenance department at a nursing home and broke up old people's turds with a coat hanger. That's a <laughs> shitty job. <laughs> and what I learned from it is that I never wanted to work at a nursing home. Well, the um, money can get you. It can. It, it it pulled me in hook, line, and sinker. Yeah. Uh, hey, so was there a defining moment in your life where you knew you were funny? Well, I think modesty prohibits me from declaring myself funny, but I yes. do remember specifically the value of it. Um, I was probably like four or five years old, and I had done something horrible, and I knew I was going to get a whooping. So... Um, I slid a Dr. Seuss book into the seat of my pants. And when my dad gave me the first swat and realized what I'd done, he burst into laughter and forgot to continue my punishment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I was like, there's something to this th being funny. <laughs> I, I have, I've heard that tactic used uh, before, um, but I don't know that it uh, elicited the laughter that it got from your dad. So that is telling that he um, 
appreciated a good sense of humor and there there must have been some humor in the house as a kid growing up yeah quite a quite a bit of it yeah 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 my my kids are i mean they're they're either both going to be stand-up comedians or serial killers because our house is just insane why not both uh, with antics yeah yeah it's it's a great uh career path i think a i mean funny who, john wayne gacy that's right who would ever expect it? let's talk a, a little bit about your work the creative process and and sort of all the things that that uh sort of inherently stand in the way of of greatness as we really try to elevate um every i assume you like me everything that comes across the desk it's like how do we make this better mm-hmm. things get in the way first of all what what does a commercial director do i think a director ideally brings in a fresh perspective breathes new life and enthusiasm into the idea um maybe uh suggest things that they hadn't thought of and then works together with the creatives um truly to push their idea and make it even better than they thought it could be and i think you know a lot of people give lip service to collaboration but i think that's that's really it is just kind of um bringing new layers and things that maybe had not been thought of uh, to a project. It is a collaborative process. And I think the more you collaborate and prove yourself to be a collaborative director, the better chance you have of moving the needle forward creatively when you do have an idea that is really going to make the the piece better. Yeah. Um, and I think as our business has sort of become demystified over the years a little bit, I think the trust has broken down a little bit. Um, you know, even the advent of film, film was a hugely sort of, I hope it works sort of medium. You know, <laughs> you don't know if they're going to screw up the bath. Um, you don't know if there's going to be a hair in the gate. And now there's so much of an immediacy. I think trust has broken down a little bit. And I think it's a director's job to sort of reclaim that trust from the beginning, let people know it's like, I'm here to bring my experience just to help you. I'm not here to dictate how things have to be done. There's not just one way, you know, I'm here to work with you um, and uh, bring my experience to the table to make this project better. Did you ever picture yourself in more of a dictatorial role where it was like, I'm the director, this is how it's going to go. I'm the artist, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, No, I never wanted to be that guy with the beret and the jodhpurs, you know, screaming about my cold latte. That's not what it's about for me at all. To me, I just love the process. And I love you, you know, you hire, just like you hire different individuals from your crew because they bring their experience and their expertise to the table. You need to listen to those people. That's why they're there. The same goes for the creatives. The same goes for client input. It blows me away when I hear stories from other agency creatives about directors that act uh, certain ways. And it, it's sort of like, how how and why? Well, first of all, why and then how? How, how are they still commanding opportunities? A hundred percent. When you hear these stories, you know, and we hear a lot of them, a certain director didn't know what they were doing. A certain director was terrible to people. Uh, they were not present. They had not even read the treatment that they didn't write. Uh, <laughs> you know, you hear all these kind of things, And all you think is, well, why in the hell would you hire that person? There are too many people that 
love this process, love making commercials, are good at it, and are good communicators with the people involved, to not be hiring those people that don't know what they're doing or or are shitty or don't enjoy it anymore. The days of being von Stroheim are really over. I don't know about you, but but late at night, I, I waterboard myself and I go and I, I look for all of the spots I didn't get. Um, yes. And I find them and nothing pisses me off more than seeing one that sucks. How about when you see one and you realize a lot of your ideas have been incorporated? Yeah, I mean, there's that, and I always try to chalk it up to like, okay, well, I it's quite possible I'm not the only person that came up with that idea, or did I come up with that idea? Was that yeah. in the script? I can't remember. But yeah. man, when when they are, and you can tell when it's called in when there is zero fucking value added to a spot, zero value. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, nothing. You're it it that that drives me crazy. I love it when I lose and I see a spot and I'm like, you know what? They That director crushed it. What's the best part of your job? And then what is the worst part of your job? I mean, the best part is just that I found a vocation where all of my random experience and wasted life makes total sense. You know, all of the different things that I've done really come together kind of elegantly in our business. Uh, I love making things. I love making people laugh. Even the bad jobs, there's still a pretty good way to spend your day. Definitely be shoveling shit or breaking up turds with a coat hanger. <laughs> the worst part, and only because it can be very frustrating, is inflexibility. Taking an idea from the page to the screen, you know, it puts a spotlight on what works and what doesn't. And it's always sort of this ephemeral process of something you can't really quantify. You know, sometimes dialogue has to be tweaked. Sometimes scripts run long. Sometimes blocking needs to be adjusted. Gags need to be MacGyvered in a different way. And if projects aren't willing to try different things or chuck elements that aren't working as they thought they would on the Mm -hmm. page, Mm -hmm. then the end product isn't going to be as strong. And what are we doing here? You know, we've both been there where they will pony whip a line that just isn't funny. Right. And it's like, let's try some options here. We write, you know, we got great actors here. We hired them because they're great Im- improv people. So let's try a few things that maybe work a little bit better. I've gotten to a point now where like, I'll, I'll look at a rough cut and I'm like, okay, that's how I thought it was going to work. It's not working that way. Let's try this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's, it's pretty liberating, you know, instead of banging your head against the wall, you're, you're, you're continuing to work to, to elevate and make it better. So, yeah. Um, and it's a huge rush when it does, when you make yeah. that discovery on the set and you're like, oh my God, you know, I was on one shoot and the script wasn't working and we'd been delayed two hours with lightning. We were outside at a gas station and we're losing the light. And I just go, you know what, can we just try this improv? I worked it out with the actors and in two takes, we just solved everything. Um, but because the agency was open to it and they recognized, yeah, this isn't as working as well as we thought it would. That was the key to making it work. That's one of my favorite parts of the job is when you are empowered by the people that have brought you in to elevate the idea, to do your thing. I mean, that feels really good. The stakes are high. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the stakes are really high, but, but that's a great, a great feeling when you, when you know that someone is trusting you with their child. We, even with very strict guidelines and a pre-approved animatic, you can still put your thumbprint on something, but people have to let you do it. Do you have a favorite project? I mean, I know you've done a lot aside. I would imagine your short um, probably is at the top of the list, but in the ad space. <laughs> yeah. I hate my short. <laughs> oh, do you? <laughs> no. Well, the short film, they asked just real quick that the, my, I had a rep who was like, you, you're not a real director if you haven't done a short film. And I go, okay, be right back. And a year right. later I came back with my messed up uh, Lovecraftian comedy horror and it did way better in on the festival circuit than I ever imagined, mm-hmm. but it wasn't useful in the ad space. Yeah. So uh, lesson learned. Um, but I think as far as commercial work goes, I do love all my children, but I guess I would probably say the princess dress spot I did for Tide. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just one of those effortless shoots where everything kind of came together perfectly and uh, and more than that, it was tremendously successful for the brand, which is the point. It ran for over six years, way past the original cycle. Um, it was written about in a lot of articles, including Psychology Today. Oh, wow. With, about gender stereotyping. And it was even taught uh, in a course at UC Merced. Wow. So, wow. And Jesse great. Teeters thanks you. Oh, my God. Jesse, <laughs> he's a sweetheart. <laughs> That oh, he's girl, great. That girl we paid for college five times over. That's awesome. I love it. I love yeah, it. I love that spot. How, so we didn't really talk too much about this. I happen to know that you have a musical background. Um, and I read in one of your bios that you sort of categorize your music as humor core. Right. Which I, it sounds like an invented genre. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I I love it. How how does your your music, your punk rock roots, how does that translate and and sort of play into your film and advertising life? Well, I originally did it as a, a sort of a dare um because I am not musically trained. I can't play anything and I was tone deaf. Um but at the time there were so many venues that you could point to three friends practice for a month and get start getting gigs. Mhm. And as soon as I started doing that, and I was really sort of emulating some of the bands and the hardcore groups and the punk groups that I really loved growing up, um, I just I just fell in love with it. Um, so again, it was a collaborative process. It was performance. Uh, it was um, practice, practice, practice. Um, I ended up taking vocal lessons for four years from a, some guy on Broadway. <laughs> wow. Uh, and... It just was a tremendous period of growth and gave me a lot of confidence as far as, you know, being a ringleader and orchestrating these events. You said it a couple of minutes ago, sort of like all the useless things you've done in your life play mm-hmm. perfectly into what you do for a living. And it really is the truth that, you know, being an observer, being, a, you know, uh, anti-establishment and wanting to rock the boat and figuring out how to solve problems and work with other people. I mean, it's all, it's all part of the the craft. And music um, and lyrics, you know, just like comedy, it's, there's a lot of timing involved and there's um, a musicality to comedy and the pacing of an edit. And a lot of times music is involved and 
you know, it has come up again and again and again. My musical background has uh, borne relevance in commercials, and I'm very happy about that. <laughs> Let's dive a little bit into your creative process. Um, and I want to start with sort of like in your mind, what's the anatomy of a great idea? Um, well, when I started as an agency creative, I had this um, amazing creative director who had a small sign taped on his door and it said, practice safe advertising, use a concept. And I think that's really it. I think great ideas begin with a great concept and ideally a simple one. Um, but after that, it needs strong, experienced leaders and mentors to protect the idea, to shape it and to steer it to the finish line. What do you, Nick Spooner, personally need to get creative? Is is there a routine? Is there some, you know, do you go hide in the shed? What do you do? Um, I actually don't need a lot other than I just need a little time. And time is precious these days. Mm -hmm. It's all been constricted because of, you know, digital immediacy. You know, I kind of try to look at every project uh, just with a blank slate and treat it like it's a Super Bowl spot, regardless of budget or focus groups or animatics. You know, I start with a blank slate and an unhealthy level of enthusiasm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, that's so perfect. Uh, and then it gets chipped away until the, the, the block of stone looks like the subject that's fucking hysterical an unhealthy level of enthusiasm god i've been at the top of that sliding board many many times in my life every time <laughs> so what do you think is the single most toxic element in the in the creative process um too strict of an adherence to testing or animatics, or focus groups, or algorithms, uh, and any too closely held belief that there's a formula for what makes a successful commercial. Mm -hmm. um, because if there was, we'd all be going to Cannes every year. Cons, cans. I yeah, see. I knew what you meant. I think those things diminish and limit the importance of human experience, and they kill creativity. We did a very successful campaign to help launch a brand, um, and... The client just said, do what you do. So the creatives and I just did what we did and it turned out great and it launched the IPO and it was successful. Cut to the next round and the quant has showed up mm -hmm. who has fallen in love with Google Analytics mm -hmm. and says, oh, the beginning is 4.75 seconds and we recap the whole ad at the beginning of the ad in case they click through and just nothing worked as well because they abandoned the faith in um you know, the creative process and were too obsequious to numbers. What about the whole design by committee, Frankensteining, fear-driven decision-making? How much does that play a role in the process? Well, you always have to contend with it to some degree, but then you also have to kind of walk away from it. You know, I think by committee just in itself has sort of a negative connotation and it it really is. You do need to shift your mindset to be like, this is collaboration, you know, um, whether it's with creatives or the DP or the actors or the production designer or the editor, you know, you can't ever be in a position where you're saying my way is the only way. 
Um, you have to respect that they have to go through their own process. That's what got you to this point. So I'll always have strong opinions. Uh, that's why directors get hired, but it's also our job to listen and to sort of absorb what has been done by committee. Um, there's a point where, you know, the committee meeting is over <laughs> and we need to move on and actually execute this idea. Yeah, I mean, so someone, and I think this is a big part of our job, has to sort of funnel all that information mm -hmm. and all of those opinions and all of that data and testing and whatever, and deliver the story with a singular voice. <laughs> Let's get into some opinions and advice um, for the for the next generation of uh, poor bastards that get into this business. Yes. The biggest change you've seen in the industry in the three in the past three years, let's say, and upside and downside. <laughs> Other than the myriad joys of COVID protocols. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say the best and the worst thing for me, it's it's kind of small actually, is video conferencing. You know, I think on the plus side, you know, I love being able to engage with creatives on a deeper level mm -hmm. by seeing them and getting, you know you know they're paying attention um it's just a much better way to engage with them um but it also can carry over into having a zoom call on the day you know with a checkerboard video committee of 20 people providing remote input just because they can and it does not help the shoot in a constructive way um i, I mean I, I i don't even know how you can effectively offer insight in that forum it's like no dude send the people that are really important to the shoot and that's it please yeah. please do you think it's become more difficult to do comedy yes uh it's it's definitely harder to navigate it in the various climates um of what is okay and what is not you know, fortunately, uh, white guys over 35 continue to be a popular punchline. Yes, fair um, game. But at the same time, you know, it's not a problem. Uh, it's a solution opportunity. So we get to kind of let's see how we can be smarter. You know, maybe we it is good to walk away from the old tropes. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe there is a way to get something that connects better with the human experience mm -hmm. that we can focus on. Um, so I do think there's always going to be a comedic solution or several. Um, we just have to work a little harder at it. The easy foil, I mean, you know, that sort of formula of comedy is has gotten more difficult because, like you said, the 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 35-year-old, you know, pasty white guy in the break room is sort of who's left on the table to be the foil. Um, yeah. But I mean, even that, it's like, why are you picking on those guys now? You know, so it's, <laughs> I, I don't know. I just think it hasn't stopped. It hasn't stopped the things I work on from being funny. Yeah. It's yeah. just, you need to find a fresh way to do it. And I think that's a good thing. How about some sage advice for anyone entering the dark world of commercial production that wants to direct? Yeah. I think uh, while there are many things that I love about this business, um, commercial directing uh, can be a fickle mistress. 
and she will break your heart again and again and again. And if you have a thin skin, do something else. <laughs> All right, we're going to do some kind of speed roundy stuff here called Love It or Loathe It. Shot on iPhone. Loathe it. We are sending you a script. Love it. And an animatic. Don't love it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I loathe animatics. Uh, The client wants to come to callbacks. Hate it. Great. The creative director also directs. That's nice. (laughs) (laughs) This one needs to happen really fast. Uh, like it. Uh, no one from the agency will be on set. Hate it. Uh, we'd like you to be involved in the edit. Love it. Uh, I have these new Russian anamorphic lenses I want to try. Love them. (laughs) They'd like you to come back to Video Village. Fine. Love it. Vertical video outperforms traditional aspect ratios in advertising. Kill me now. (laughs) Great. I <laughs> perfect. I like that you, regardless of the fact that I said that this segment was called "Love It or Loathe It," you picked your own answers. Yeah, it's you know, <laughs> you you can't contain me. What here? Here's another speed round. What is the single greatest attribute a script can possess? Promoting a single emotional benefit. Love it. What is the single greatest attribute a creative team can possess? Openness. Single greatest attribute a director can possess? Uh, The ability to listen. There you go, folks. Nick Spooner, a man that will take the backbeat of the bad brains over the obvious driving melody of Minor Threat. Hilarious and afraid of nothing, which is easy when you look like Nick and have a degree from Harvard. Uh, thank you. I don't really often get the chance to talk to directors. It was fun. It was educational for me. Take it from me or take it from Nick. When your greatest idea gets kicked to the curb, remember that working in advertising beats shoveling shit. Nick, thank you very much for coming aboard the train. Thank you, Matt. You're one of the good ones. Well, I've heard worse. I've heard worse. <laughs> See you on the battlefield. Idea Killers is a Working Stiff production created and produced by Brenna Mathers. Original music by Andy Stack. Graphic package by Jessica Johnson. Join us next time as we unearth more anecdotes and opinions from advertising's brightest and hardest working minds. 